Hello, my friends, and welcome back to Idle Chatter. I'm your host, Ray Bohax, the Hot Rod Farmer, coming to you from Cat Swamp Road. I got to say that C-A-T word softly because I have a couple of family members here sleeping, and uh, I don't want to wake them up because then I got to try to stop this podcast and not mess it up. So hopefully, God willing, everything is going well for you and uh in your family and in your life and uh, let me see what else i want to tell you well obviously i wanted to tell you that but my mind is wandering because i'm looking uh i got that stupid buzzing back in my uh microphone when i touch it and this has been going on now for like three weeks right because i thought i had it i thought it was the fluorescent lights and then i found that i moved the wires and the wires and now i got the wires nothing touching whatsoever i got the uh the power cord oh i, I meant to tell you a couple of weeks ago i said to you uh, i didn't know wasn't sure whether this roadcaster worked on 12 volts or, or what have you and uh when i had that power when that buzzing problem i'm going to touch the microphone now and see if there's a buzzing yeah, a little bit of buzzing when i touch it i don't know if you could hear it and um very very faintly but i looked at the uh power supply for the roadcaster now road is an australian company and my roadcaster itself is made in australia my microphone is my microphones are made in australia and uh down under but the uh which i had known that the power supply is made in china and other than road on it in english everything else is in chinese but it does say some and it, it's got all the symbols the chinese symbols and then there's 12 volt so i'm assume, i'm assuming that it is a converter that converts the ac to dc and runs the roadcaster from 12 volts but then again like i said i sound like an old wash woman complaining about everything it's a different world you can't find out about anything today you can't whatever so i don't want to get off on that high horse you guys are tired of hearing about that and so but it does say 12 v on it so 12 volts but everything else is in chinese i mean literally in chinese <clears throat> the front of the unit is cast in it beautifully it says road with their logo but it, you turn it over it's, it's all in chinese i remember as a young man i saw my first uh japanese car i don't know what it was well, it probably was a Toyota or a Datsun back then, right? And uh, I remember the guy opened the hood. I was like, I was a kid, right? The whole radiator cap, everything was in Chinese. Well, it was in Japanese, not in Chinese. So uh, on there, and I said, what the heck is this? I remember being a little kid. I said, why the heck would somebody want to buy this? And uh, I mean, it had a decal on the radiator. It was all in, 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 in uh, Japanese. And, uh, and to me, it, it looks like hieroglyphs like hieroglyphics but uh no disrespect to the language you understand but i mean i'm an american i'm it's america if i open the hood on a car i want to be able to read what it says so uh hey what are you gonna do the uh the germans were like that right Achtung. <laughs> it was like all oh, early volkswagen had a decal in there about a fan Achtung. so <laughs> but uh, hey whatever but the best thing if you ever had the opportunity is to read the instructions or a label 
from a company that is trying to break into our beloved United States and tap into our our market, and they're from China. They're the worst, and they're from China. And I don't know who they had translate the label or the instructions. And if you read it, it makes like zero sense whatsoever and is actually comical. When my, when my writing career, well, was vibrant, uh, the automotive writing career, and uh, in the world, like I said, I keep saying it, the world was different back then. And I'm not, and I've, you know, I'm not looking for freebies, but companies would come to you and come to a, to a writer, to a magazine and say, hey, we got this, we would like for you to try it. And if you, yeah, and if they were honest, they'd say, if you like it, then write about it. Then if you don't like it, don't write about it. But whatever. But, you know, they would really, they wouldn't have too many strings attached to it, but they would solicit you. And I remember I was never an editor. I was always a contributor. But the, I, the people would send me things unsolicited. And lots of times I, I didn't want them. I said, please don't send me this. I don't want this. I really, you know, I, I can't, it doesn't fit the genre that I, that I write in, technical writing. And, uh, and I don't know if I, I just didn't want to be put on the spot. So my contention was what I, what I like to do is do my own research. And if I felt that the, the company or the product potentially had merit, and, you know, it's the same thing is with, you know, with the podcast or with the radio show. And I have people come to me, I'm not going to say I have a million of them, that would be an exaggeration and a lie, but I have people come to me and say, oh, I want to, we want to do this on you, know, we wanna, why don't you advertise on your, on your, on your podcast, advertise on your radio show. And uh, if, if I don't feel that I have belief in that product, it doesn't mean that the product is not any good, but if I don't have belief in the product, then I just don't want to have them to be associate my name with it. Not that I got a big name, but I don't want you to listen to the podcast, listen to the radio show. And here I am, you know, talking, promoting some stuff, and uh, and and I understand that's what makes the world go round, and it's an essential part of the world and of business, obviously. But I do have to believe it, and I just don't want to be chasing revenue. Chasing, oh, come on board, and uh, but anyway, to get back to. So my career was a, as a technical writer, right? So I had this Chinese company. They sent me this car polish called Wax. I guess it was wax, not a polish. They sent me like three gallons of it in these like two quart, one quart bottles. <laughs> and and I, it was unsolicited. I, mean, I, I didn't want it. I went to ask for it. And uh, it was all translated I don't know who they got to translate it, but uh, it was actually, actually comical. I mean, you get a belly laugh out of it reading it, and uh, because it would, it would start to say, "Oh, good for polished car," and then something orange too, and uh, it was uh, obviously lost something in the translation. And like I said, I'm not saying it of disrespectfully to anyone. I mean, my grandmother, my parents are American-born, so I'm second-generation American, baby, red, white, and blue. <clears throat> but my four grandparents were from the Ukraine, or were from Ukraine. I don't know. They just say Ukraine now, I guess, because you probably wouldn't say the America or the Canada, right? So I don't know why we should say the Ukraine. It's from the Ukraine, like it was its first name. First name, the last, you know, surname, Ukraine. But... uh 
So my grandmother had a language barrier. She was the only grandparent I knew. But it was <clears throat> it was different back then. Nobody, it was a whole bunch of different people from around the world coming to this blessed nation. Uh, no, they did not expect anything. They did not, um, had no, no entitlement is the word I'm looking for, attitude or mentality is probably a more accurate term. And there was they didn't expect to see signs in Ukrainian or Italian or Russian or, or Polish or, uh, or, or French, right? So it was, uh, and, you know, they, they, they came here and they just wanted to work hard and they embraced America and they wanted to be, make a better life for themselves and, and for their family, however they came here. So uh, I certainly know, you know, growing up, my grandmother spoke with my parents. She lived with us. Uh, which is was which was wonderful, which is another thing that probably doesn't happen much today. But you know, she spoke broken English. I mean, she could communicate to a certain level. She's not going to go, you know, sit in a lecture hall, but she could communicate to a certain level. But at home, she had a lot of. Uh, we had a lot of uh, Ukrainian English hybrid words, and they made up their own words. <laughs> so, uh, so I certainly understand. But the point that I'm getting at. If you are trying to bring a product into the United States, which is an English-based country, and you think so lowly of us that you will not hire the proper person to translate the label for your car polish that you're trying to sell or car wax that you're trying to get me to promote, then you know I do have an issue with that because it's disrespectful. I would not expect to bring something to China and then write it in English or some kind of uh, uh, Mickey Mouse Chinese translation, and then and then expect them to buy it from me. But I think the mindset of these these people today, uh, and like I said, these Chinese, are that they just figure they'll shove anything down our throat and we'll be happy to take it. So anyway, so to answer my to answer my question, answer the question that you did not ask, I am not sure like of whether this roadcaster runs off of AC or DC, I would presume because it's 12 volts on that thing, that it says that it, that it would be DC con AC converted to DC, 12 volts, but who knows? Until I go learn Chinese, I will not be able to tell you. But like so many things in life, that the saga just keeps continuing. So like I said, I got, I'm gonna touch my microphone again, see if I get the buzz. A little, it's a very, 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 very slight buzz. And I get all the wires separate, so I don't know where that's coming from. I got my computer off. The only thing is I don't have the fluorescent light off, but that was not really the problem, or so it wasn't. So I presume it wasn't because that didn't fix it. But anyway, why I'm even wasting your time with that for 11 minutes is that that is so common when you're working on machinery you're working on farm equipment you're working on engines you're working on the heating system you're working on the dairy robot is that because of its complexity and that's why i am such a big proponent of the engineering acronym kiss keep it simple stupid right that uh you know when you had an old reel-to-reel -reel tape recorder you didn't have that problem but the fact of the matter is i wouldn't be able to do a podcast with that so i guess that's the flip side of it but too much complexity is no good 
and is not good. My, I say it to be dramatic, say it incorrectly. No good, all right, um, is not good, and it just leaves the doors, the windows open for 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 problems to come in about that you don't even know about, right? Exist until you get involved with them, and that's why when you're diagnosing something you really need to try to do aba testing unless it's very apparent like well here's the nail sticking out of the tire or here's the broken fan belt or here's the water pouring out of the weep hole on the on the water pump but if it's not if it's some sort of diagnostics where things are inconsistent or not working properly then it's very very hard for you to be able to quantify because i thought i had this thing fixed already and it is not fixed and then i did a show yesterday which i'm going to talk about and uh, recorded yesterday it was an on the road with joel rand and that will be dropping if you listen to this on wednesday it'll be dropping thursday this week so uh, a very you know long time listener to show great great guy wonderful inspirational story and uh hopefully you could check about it check it out and listen to it but the point that i'm getting at is that i had sent him my road headset and he has an apple iphone and i have the adopt adapters for apple and i have an android phone and uh, a motorola phone and my mine worked without the uh, adapter so who knows but anyway like i said i said that a while back on the show and i want to read i didn't even you when you talk the road no one knows what's going on but so we went through this trouble and uh got the headset to him and it's been a long time coming in in uh getting this this episode recorded just uh for no particular reason his life is busy my life is busy uh just life got in the way for both of us so now we're going to record with the headset and uh, uh he's in the hospital he's in the hospital i'm not going to steal the thunder from the show but the, he's in the medical field all right so he's in the hospital and uh he's got the headset plugged into his iphone and uh i was not happy with the with the with the audio quality now mike werner used it and he actually recorded in a closet from his farmhouse and uh i was very happy with the quality of the audio before i sent it out i was so i don't and then again so many moving parts even though they're not physically moving so i said that so i said to joel rand i said joel can you move to another place in the hospital so he moved to another office and then the um i see so then uh, he called back into the soundboard and it sounded great for about 15 seconds it sounded like it was sitting next to me and then it got that burger king driving sound you know <laughs> and then the, it would it would fade in i always say it would fade in and out it would uh <clears throat> be like an old am radio and you're trying to tune uh the channel and then it comes in good for a second and it starts to fade away and then come in good and uh, then it's okay then it's excellent then it's terrible and to me i don't think that was uh the i don't think that's the road headset and i don't think it's i don't think there's anything wrong with his phone i think it's bad reception and in the building he was in or the area he was in what have you so thank god they had a landline there so we went back to the so we went to the landline and uh that was uh very that was it was it, it, it was 
more than commercially acceptable. I mean, it's not going to, the sound, the audio is not going to be like you're sitting here talking into the same microphone, but I mean, it was fine. I'll say perfect, perfect for a telephone connection. And uh, so, so the thing basically is, is that, you know, what is it? Is it his phone? Did something happen to the road headset and shipping? Is it the, the signal from Iowa? Who knows? Too many moving parts. But I know but I know years ago when you had landlines, you picked up the phone and it was crystal clear. All right. So whether you called to California, you called around the corner. It was crystal clear. So uh, we so we're pushing this world with this technology, and is then everybody is ballyhooing it, how wonderful it is, and uh, they can't get it to work in any level of consistency, and they're forcing us to make compromises in everything just to accept the technology. Oh, how wonderful is that technology, right? Well, the technology isn't so wonderful. If a old rotary dial telephone had a better connection than a $2,000 iPhone. So that is that. That's not geared toward Mr. Rand, toward Joe Rand, but that's the whole thing is everything is so inconsistent like this microphone. But anyway, so that is that. Uh, thank God when this show drops, I'm going to have a, uh, a busy week. So on Monday, prior to this show dropping, I am going to be taking a class out in Pennsylvania, agricultural class for my pesticide license. And uh, the international case IH dealer called Zimmerman's. And uh, they're very, very good because what they do is they register their class with New Jersey. And a lot of these places don't register their class with New Jersey when they're in Pennsylvania. And uh, they get a lot of New Jersey customers, and it's actually a slap. I don't want to say a slap in the face. It's disrespectful to the customers because they, you know, had... You know, if, if they don't register the class, then they say, they, we want your money, but we don't want to give you a class. So anyway, so I'm going to go there, and then on Tuesday, so that's Monday, and that's probably about 150 miles each way. It's not too bad. And then uh, I'll go there Tuesday, Monday, and then Tuesday, uh, Charlotte has to have, my wife has to have a, a tooth extracted. And uh, it's in the back of her, way in the back of her mouth. I had to use my Magalite to get near to see it. But she had problems with that tooth for 20 feet before I met her. And she calls it the million-dollar tooth, and it finally, like, collapsed. So we have to, so she has to get that extracted. So the dentist said that uh, that it would be best for me to come and drive her home uh, from there. So I'm going to take her there Tuesday and uh, you know what's wonderful about it we have an old-time dentist old country dentist all right old i'm not emphasizing old meaning physically old calendar old but old-time country dentist and he is older and uh you know today when you, when you get closer to the city or even whatever you get a newer dentist they don't want to say you got to go to a special guy to extract a tooth to pull a tooth so when Charlotte said that she I said, well, Dr. Rossi, you got to go someplace. No, Dr. Rossi says he'll do it. So, uh, so I told him, all right, well, tell him I'll bring the, I'll bring the chain and the tractor and we could just pull it right out. But, uh, so I'm so grateful that, uh, you know, I had the same thing happen with me. I never had a tooth extracted, but I had a problem with a tooth and, uh, I, he fixed it on me, fixed it on me, fixed it for me. 
All right, and I and I even said to him, Doctor Rossi, any modern dentist today would sell you to an oral surgeon and this and that. So anyway, and it's wonderful. Thank God, no problem whatsoever. But so that's going to be Tuesday. Take her to the dentist. Take Charlotte to the dentist, and then uh, Wednesday I'm going to another growers meeting. But that one is in right over here at the end, the other side of Warren County, so about 35 miles away. The Grow Mark FS meeting. So I'm going to go to that. And then Thursday, I'm going to go back to Pennsylvania to another meeting. So uh, a growers workshop meeting. So it's going to be a uh, probably maybe a thousand mile week or 1200 mile week on the old Fiesta. So thank God for that, right? That the old Fiesta is very economical to run. And that, it, like I have told you before, it gobbles the miles and sips the fuel and i actually modified that i didn't think of that tagline i think it was it was a farm tractor it wasn't john Deere, so maybe it was case ih or uh i don't know i i don't remember and they had a uh, <clears throat> advertising tagline a few years ago and said it gobbles the acres and sips the fuel so i took poetic license to that and uh stole it after i modified it and stole it so that is that but um the other th- well what i just want well, before we get into the topic of today's show which it's not going to be too complicated but i'm going to ask for your advice so uh my uh, art director susan moore a um i guess about a month just before her brother-in-law died in 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 uh, ireland so time flies by by about four or five weeks ago now but anyway i think it was, it was before christmas yeah sadly it's just before christmas but anyway susan has an older audi a4 that she bought new uh, quattro nice little car they keep it beautifully. I mean, I'm not an Audi guy. You know, I'm not an import guy. But what is nice is nice, all right? I mean, otherwise, then you're just, you're biased, all right? So, uh, and you can't be biased. That's not being, you know, right to be biased. To say, I don't like that person. No, uh, so the thing is that, I mean, I wouldn't buy it. <laughs> but, uh, but whatever, I mean, I'm not laughing. But like I said, so it doesn't make it that's not a nice car. But I never liked the German cars, Uh other than an old VW, a real bug, an air-cooled bug. I never liked German cars, and I did work for BMW, and I just didn't like the feel of them, the very torn suspension. Uh, some people like it and love it, and it's fantastic. God bless you. All right, so <coughs> I was never, and I always felt that the German cars, well, later on, they didn't get away. Those uh, they had a, those Teutonic cars had a very, cold i mean cold i mean cold appearing not that it was cold in the car uh, there was a lot of hard surfaces and I, I just never i just never liked it all right so whatever but people do so right because obviously they sell them and people do so anyway so what happened was that to make a long story short this audi they have is i think is a 2002 so it's 22 years old now right 21 22 years old and uh it has uh, a lot of miles on it, it has 200 has 240,000 miles on it i know that they've had some issues with it i think at about 50 or 60,000 miles uh it 
it broke the timing belt and bent all the valves and because it's not a it's it's what they would call an interference motor so uh, if you break the timing belt or the valve train goes uh, out of skew then you end up hitting the valves with the pistons so they had to put back it was, it was out of warranty and had i think it was just about sixty thousand miles or maybe a little bit more 62 63 <clears throat> they were supposed to change the timing about at sixty thousand miles like i said i'm not laughing by no means because it cost them thousands of dollars i mean but uh i mean it's it's i'm, I'm saying i'm not saying it's funny meaning uh <clears throat> that i'm gonna laugh but that it went like 61,000 miles and busted the timing belt. But anyway, so, and they, I think they may have had some other issues that I wasn't aware of. But ultimately, I mean, the car, the, they kept the car very nicely and, and ran well. So uh, they were coming back from Atlanta. They live about 60, 70 miles from Atlanta out in the country. And uh, the, the husband, Vic, was driving with her. And the, uh, make a long story short, the oil pressure light went on. And I can't glean from him, great guy, love him to death, but I can't glean from him how long the oil pressure light was on. Now, he has a mechanical background, so he's not going to run it. For, so I, I, I don't know what the situation, I don't honestly know. I don't think he, I think he shut it off as soon as it was, as, as soon as it was, as soon as it was safe for him to shut it off, meaning safe, they're not getting killed in an intersection or something. And then, <coughs> excuse me, they have, uh, I think, to their insurer. Right, make a long story short, they had to wait five hours for a tow truck. So that kind of ruins your day, especially if you don't have any place where you go get a cup of coffee or use the restroom or something. If you're standing in the middle of a highway for five hours, I don't know what kind of weather it was. I mean, it was, it was already in December, so but it is Atlanta, Georgia, so it may have been a little bit warmer, but it could get pretty cold down there. But anyway, for five hours, and then they towed the Audi back to their home, and uh, they told me about it and what have you. So to make a long story short, Vic drained the oil, and I said to them, well, let's see, you know, drain the oil, put some in a cup. I said, and so this is the educational part that so i said to him well what we need to do i said to susan what we need to do is we have to determine what went on was the oil pressure light coming on because it doesn't have a gauge as an idiot light right we supposed to call it telltale not an idiot light that's insulting right to idiots <laughs> they get you know you can insult anybody if you're a patriot if you're a christian if you're a proud american you can insult you fair game baby insult them insult you all you want but if you call they call it an idiot light the the the, the pc the politically correct police come knocking on your door so anyway so i said to susan we have to determine whether i said did the engine make did it knock did it make you know whatever we have to determine you know whether it was a false alarm maybe the sending unit went bad so i said what you could do is vic could drain the oil and what i would like for him to do is send the oil out to be analyzed and that's like and that's something that i was a big proponent for you guys always pushing analysis analysis coolant analysis oil analysis hydraulic fluid analysis so i said i'd like you to spend the 25 or 30 dollars send the oil out to be analyzed i said and let's see what is in it because 
if the lab comes back and says, well, there's nothing in it, then we know that that was a false alarm and you either have an electrical problem with the car as far as the light going on, <clears throat> excuse me, or the sending unit went bad or the sending unit got plugged or what have you. So just take a drink of water. So, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> excuse me. So I'm going to say kill this mic for a second. Okay, I'm back. And then, so when, so they did that and they, before they went to Ireland for the funeral. And then I said to Vic, take some of the oil in your fingers, put it out on a piece of, on a piece of shop towel or, or in a container, a clean container. And do you see any shiny stuff in some, uh, some sparklies, right? The way we just say glitter in there. And do you feel anything in your fit between your fingers? He said, no. I said, well, that's a good sign. So anyway, they had to go to Ireland for the funeral, sadly, and came back. And then uh, it took, it was Blackstone Labs, and they're an excellent lab. But for some reason, I don't, I don't know why, it took like three weeks to get this sample back. So they uh, needed another car, and uh, they do have another car. They have a, a Jaguar uh I think it's an X, it's the Ford door, but I think it's a Vandenplatz, which is a nice car, but it's the supercharged one. So anyway, uh, but they got their own issues with that. But anyway, so I'm not laughing. So, but Vic doesn't want to put too much. So anyway, they need another. So, so I said to him, well, it's I didn't expect to take three weeks to get the oil sample back. So, and I, I said, what I would probably do if I were you is that and i did some research on that motor and it has a a chain driven oil pump off the crankshaft and there's a plastic belt a plastic chain tensioner guide that the chain rides on now the car's got two hundred forty thousand miles so uh you got to be fair to it you can't give it too much of a black eye and uh and uh i said you know i'm wondering if that chain tensioner uh broke or loosened up and it and that's why you lost oil pressure with it the chain is flopping around and uh and not turning the oil pump and i said but regardless from what i could see in the cutaway in the engine that's not going to be a picnic to do that's going to be quite an expensive job to do all right so that is it and then another thing that i uh is that i've learned by doing some research on those engines is that's at 1.8 volkswagen uh turbocharged engine and it seems that the oil pickup in the pan is right next to the drain back from the turbo now they've been very good about having the oil change but they don't do it themselves and they go to a shop and the supposedly synthetic oil what have you so it, it, it those engines have it from what i've gleaned have a tendency to plug up that oil pip, pump pickup because you get coked oil, all right, which is basically fried oil, uh, from the bearing on the turbocharger, and it comes down to, and then it, it coagulates there, and uh, and uh, it gets in a pair of blocks to pick up. So, regardless, it's an Audi Quattro, and nothing on those cars are easy to do, all right. So, I had said to Susan, look you know it's a beautiful it's a beautiful car you kept it beautifully i don't think anybody ever sat in the back seat and you the body is beautiful on it what have you and i said and i know that but i really think that it's time to walk away from it 
So I, uh, and I just, it's got 240,000 miles. I mean, if it was like an oil pressure sending unit, yeah, you put that, even if it costs you a couple hundred dollars for the sending unit and label with the car is good, right? I said, but, you know, if one, if it's, and we don't have the oil analysis back yet, so we said we're really, Vic doesn't feel anything in his fingers or see anything, but that, it's, that's partially inconclusive. I mean, it's like looking at a crop. If you see it all wilting when you ride by, when you don't need to do a tissue analysis on it, you know, the thing is dying. So I said, I really would just buy another car, buy a new car, because no matter what you can do, it's going to be, if it is the, if it is the oil pan, I mean, to pick up a new pan, it's and there's no no real damage on the oil analysis. I said, then you know, it's a shame because you're throw, throwing a good car away for a, a, a forty dollar pickup in a pan, but you got to spend two thousand dollars to get to that pickup. And I said, once you put that kind of money in that and in, in that car, then you own it. I mean, you, then something else happens. You got to do another two thousand. Then all of a sudden, so it gets to be like a merry-go-round. And I said, that's fine if it's a hobby car. If you say, oh, I'm going to make this thing into a hobby car and whatever. And then you know, when something is a hobby, but it's hobby farming or with hobby cars or hobby guitars or whatever, then you don't have to justify a business model for it or rationalize the money that you're spending on it. But if it's not a hobby, if it's a if it's a practical application, then the fact of the matter is, then you really have to weigh your dollars. And the same thing with the farm. So like just like last week, I was talking about you know the high yield farmers and making a uh, a comparison to that sick week uh, drag racing drag and drive event. Yeah, I mean, so if you're going to get you know six hundred twenty five bushels of corn from you know from an acre um and and that's you know that's fantastic fantastic that you accomplished that no nothing whatsoever but it's virtually impossible for you to spread that over a thousand acres uh and or financially impossible for you to spread uh, spread that over a thousand acres because the, the even if even i mean corn is not doing that well now but even if it's ten dollars a bushel which has never been but ten dollars a bushel then it would still be very hard pressed to, to, to have a financial return on that so um so i said what i would do is i would just you know consider i would just you know whatever when the time comes say goodbye to the audi and uh, let's wait for you but you know I, I i wouldn't wait for the oil analysis to come back at this particular point because whatever's inside the motor is going to be expensive. But let's wait for the oil analysis to decide what we're going to do with the car. Because maybe you get it fixed for $500 and sell it. Because it still has a book value of like $3,500 supposedly. But anyway. So so I said to, what I would suggest the car to you is... Uh, is the Volkswagen Jetta. You say, you go, oh, hot rod, you buy American. Well, well, yes, I am. All right. I said, I'm suggesting it to her. I'm not saying I would buy it. All right. <clears throat> not that there's anything wrong with the Volkswagen Jetta. But the fact of the matter is, is that the only American sedan that I know that she wanted a sedan, she didn't want an SUV, she doesn't want a pickup truck, all right? So the only American sedan that is left is the Chevy Malibu, which I'm sure is a very nice car, all right? But Sue has driven 
Audis with that, he gets back to that Teutonic feel, that German feel I was talking about. And if you take somebody, and I've learned that <clears throat> from being in the car business, if you take somebody, in most instances, and there's rare exceptions, so if you always drove uh, a, uh, a German-style car, uh, or I should say a German-influenced car, an Audi, a Volkswagen, a Mercedes, a BMW, and you put them in a, a Malibu, or you put them in a Camry or a Honda Accord, there's a very good chance that they're not going to like it. So, um, and, and then there's a, there's a very good chance they're not going to like it, and there's a small chance that they're going to love it because it's so completely different. So it's like a guy who always had a Corvette, and now he buys a pickup truck. All right, so he says, oh, this is fantastic, right? And, and, but <clears throat> lots of time, most the majority of time, it goes the other way. So I said to her, well, you know, you may want to look at the Volkswagen Jetta because it's at a lower price point. They don't want to spend a lot of money, and rightfully so. She works at home. I mean, she goes to see her mom in, 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 in a care facility and uh, goes to the supermarket. You're not going to spend $80,000 for a car. And uh, it's, 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 it's probably, as if you get the base-level Jetta, she likes a manual transmission. You already had a manual transmission. Not many sedans today, if you were to buy one, if, like I said, you have to buy a Honda or a Kia or a Toyota or something, or a Nissan. I mean, you're not buying American regardless. So uh, then you're not going get to get a manual transmission in them. So I said, I think it checks all the boxes for you, and it's at a lower level price point. And then so they went and they bought a Jetta. So they went and they bought a Jetta, and then as uh, Murphy's Law being what it is, right, they come home with the Jetta, and the next morning they have the oil analysis there from Blackstone Labs. So the oil analysis shows nothing of major consequence. It showed some aluminum in it. It showed some iron in it, but the analysis from the lab said that it's just above what they would consider the normal levels. So they they said that they don't think that there's a problem right now, uh, but they you know was they don't know what the situation was and the problem right now. But you know they said they suggested that you know they check it before the next oil change, and uh, but they didn't see anything glaring there. So why did I tell you that story? Because I want you to go buy a Jetta. No, the thing is that that before you jump to conclusions with your machinery with your engines with anything is that we need to do some analysis whether it's all we need to do diagnostics in this particular instance all right that you know the the diagnostics was going to be a oil analysis and with today's farm equipment same engines equipment what have you or machinery whatever you want to talk call it all right is that it's not that easy to work on. Oftentimes, they're not easy at all to work on. And if at best would be like my microphone buzz, you'd be inconclusive. But the thing is that, yeah, if it was an old, <clears throat> you know, 350 Chevy in a pickup truck or a 302 Ford or something in a Galaxy, you'd pull the oil pan off and see what's going on. So, oh, the pickup is plugged. Let me pull a bearing off, right? You're not doing that in an Audi, all right, in any practical application. Just not that you can't do it because if you're paying a shop $100 an hour for that, it doesn't pay. 
And given the fact that the car is 21 years old, has 240,000 miles on it, you're not going to put good money after bad. But the thing is that I do want to emphasize that to you, that if you have a piece, and yes, at that, but now if the car didn't have 240,000 miles on it, if it was if it was 10 years old instead of instead of 21 years old, and the same thing happened, I would, would not have suggested for 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 Sue to go out buy another new car. Of course, I say let's wait for the oil analysis come back. If you need a car, rent a car. You know what I'm saying or whatever. They really didn't need another car at that particular point because they had the jag have the Jaguar, but they didn't want the Jaguar to be a long term uh, solution to this problem. So you know, keep that in the back of your mind. It's so easy for people to jump to conclusions and say, oh, the motor is shot, this is that, order. the transmission is shot, you know, and, uh, and, uh, and you know, this is shot, that shot, uh, and then and, and jump to conclusions. Lots of times in life, the things that you think are serious are not as serious as you think they are and, and vice versa, right? You got a headache and you end up having an aneurysm or, God forbid, brain cancer. So I wanted to share that with you because I know all too often in, in when working with machinery that people do not, and I look at an I look at fluid analysis as a tool in your toolbox. So now, what is going to happen to the Audi? Who knows? Uh, the thing is that I said to get a more or less price. It's a ballpark price from your mechanic to pull an oil pan back. And it seems that the guy's been jerking around with that for two weeks. I mean, I don't understand what the big deal is. Maybe he doesn't want to work on it. But uh, so whatever. So I said, well, there's always, you could donate that that car to like cars for kids or something and take it off your, off your income tax next year and be done with it and make it go away. But they are older school, like I am. You hate to send something to the junkyard that looks so good because, and if it is the oil pickup, it's like $20. (laughs) So, I mean, if it's plugged, and it doesn't even need to be changed, right? Probably unbolt it, put it in a parts bath, wash it out, and put it back in there. I mean, if it's plugged, it's it's plugged with debris that would come out. It's not like it's welded shut. So, whatever. So, that is that saga. So, she's got the new Jetta. She supposedly really likes the Jetta. That is a very, very complicated engine. And uh, so I said to them, just, you know, keep after it because it is complicated. And I basically told them either buy an extended warranty, I said, or get rid of it just before the warranty is up or, or around that time because they are complicated engines and complicated cars. And um, I honestly don't think that Volkswagens are that good. They say, well, why'd you send the lady to it? Or why'd you use your friend? You said, well, I'm not saying they're that bad, but I don't think they're better or worse than anything else. But the fact of the matter is everything today is so complicated and that complexity is going to just add a lot of expense and potential, potential problems down the road. So I don't, you know, believe that uh, they should expose that for, to themselves. And I said, you know, if you really, you know, to keep the car a while and then <clears throat> look into getting the Volkswagen extended warranty. And then, you know, um, I think they have a 100,000 mile, 150,000 mile bump. It costs you probably three or $4,000. I said, but if you like the car, you know, buy the warranty, 
And, but don't buy it today. Buy it closer to when the warranty is up. Because you may say, this car stinks. Or God forbid you hit a deer with it, right? Because they live out in the country. You hit a deer today and an airbag goes off on something. All right. <laughs> Once that airbag deploys, that thing's going to be entitled. So uh, so I said, do that. And then you, then when, when it gets to 100,000 miles, whenever that warranty is up, get rid of it. And then start the ball game all over again, which was actually a radio show I did a couple of weeks ago on Sirius XM. Not about that, but about how it's almost impossible to keep equipment, and I consider car equipment or a truck or a farm tractor for many, many, many years as we did years, as we did decades ago. And, and uh, almost impossible to do it today, which is sad, but hey, that is the way to roll. But I want to tell you is that I had a little bit of a scare uh this week with uh, my one cat hank and uh, brought him and samuel for their yearly physicals and then um hank's blood platelets came back low so dr house her name is dr house not that not that wacko doctor on tv a very nice young woman and the dr house a very compassionate good doctorate tranquility vet clinic dr christensen owns it and then there's two other doctors is dr antonelli which i never met i wouldn't know if she rang my doorbell and then we deal with dr house or dr christensen for no particular reason but anyway so dr house said to me well let's just pull another blood test she says and maybe i think they i think they i think she called it accidental clotting instead of clotting and i did some research on it It seems to be a, a phenomena with cat blood tests so thank god we did brought him back in and we did the blood test and i got the message yesterday that his blood is perfect thank god so we were praying that he would be fine and when i would pick him up and hug him and kiss him, i said i feel those platelets those platelets feel good so that blood test must be wrong so thank god for that but then it gets back to testing right which is like the oil sample all right so you, you know you need to be able to test until you have a conclusive conclusive value or con some conclusive data but let me see so that is it as far as as far as that aspect of the show is concerned and please please don't jump to conclusions you know with uh with your machinery obviously you have to do a cost uh, cost uh, uh return on investment you know is, is it cost effective is the word i'm looking for for you to put the money into something all right but uh but until you have you know you cannot make a proper financial decision without having some data and uh and that's what i said to, to you know to sue when that problem happened i said you we can't you can't make a proper financial unless you say oh this car got two hundred forty thousand dollars. i don't care if it's got a you know just a bad sensor for 20 hours i'm getting rid of it because i want a new car well then that's an emotional decision on your part and that's fine i can't but as a businessman i can't tell you to to make that decision without some data and uh and it shows that the oil analysis uh I don't believe that it has a bad sending unit on it. I believe that it did lose oil pressure. And but based upon what the oil analysis came back, so I said to Vic, 
I said, you got to realize that doesn't have a pressure gauge. It has an idiot light, all right? So let's say if that idiot light has a hysteresis, that's sending you. So let's say when you start the engine, it goes off at four pounds, all right? But it comes back on if the oil pressure drops at the below 12 pounds. So the idea that the oil pressure light, and that's why I'm telling you this, because you have to realize when you have some sort of sensor like that on any type of machinery, it's going to have a hysteresis, all right? So it's going to have a turn-on point and a shut-off point. So basically, in essence, based my, my, my analysis of the oil analysis, all right, is that since there was really no metals of magnitude and no very little aluminum, very little iron in there, that I think that the oil pressure dropped just at the trigger point of putting the light on. So I'm not, I don't believe that that engine ever fully lost oil pressure because the mindset is of most people, and it's easy to fall into that. You see the oil pressure light coming Oh, Yeah, you shut it off as soon as possible. All right, and just like the low tire pressure light, right? Mine triggers on my Fiesta at 24 pounds. So if the low tire pressure light comes on, now if I had a complete blowout or a very rapid <coughs> A drop in, a drop in, uh, a precipitous drop in pressure. Because I rode over a railroad spike. Yes, then maybe by the time I got out the car, the tire has no air in it. So the thing is that. So I, you know, and and uh, they didn't, Vic didn't, didn't understand that concept. So now, if you have a mechanical gauge and you see the oil pressure drop to zero and there's not a failure with the gauge, then you know that engine has no oil pressure. But on any type of warning like that, there's always going to be a hysteresis. And I spoke to you, or spoke to you, I spoke on this show about hysteresis of sensors and actuators and things, you know, a while back. I don't want to, uh, you know, rehash it, sound like a broken record. But you have to keep that in mind that, uh, that the, that, that, that engine based upon that test, I'm repeating it, right, still had oil pressure. Because otherwise, they'd be loaded with metal. And the fact that, you know, the precursor to that, I said, did you see anything shiny in the metal when you put it in the plastic? I told him to put it like in a little plastic bowl and look around under a light and then move your face. He said, no. So it still had oil pressure, but it, it was on its way down and it was probably on its way down because that pickup is probably blocked. Or, like I said, that... Uh, that tensioner on the chain probably when i would tend to think it's more debris from the turbocharger center section coked oil c-o-c-o-k-e-d oil that fell down from the center section because that as i said that drain back according to the cutaway engine is right by that oil pickup so so you know keep that in mind it's not the end of the world just like you go into a doctor say well, your blood pressure is a little high all right you know you know the thing is that it's not the end of the world it, it, it's not me saying it's not the end of the world is not a proper statement you have to realize and recognize what that indicator means whether it's an indicator on oil pressure whether it's an indicator let's say like on on hag's blood with the with the platelets all right or if it's indicate you have to realize what that indicator means and if you don't realize what that indicator means then the fact of the matter is be very easy to think the worst of that situation may very well be the worst but 
<clears throat> enough of that because that's your lesson for today is that you have to understand what your instrumentation is telling you all right <clears throat> and uh and if you don't understand what that instrumentation is telling you you can often be led astray whether it's a grain dryer whether it's a combine whether it's anything so what i do want to reach out i'm going to ask those of you that i was i was uh at a class last week or the week before whatever it is now when the somebody was saying that if you're hot now i don't understand the dynamics of this because i'm not knowledgeable enough but somebody was saying if you're harvesting soybeans so i know there's a lot of guys out there harvest soybeans and you take the joystick and you dip the header down and pick it back up quickly that it's going to spike the spike the yield monitor and look like you have more yield so can somebody please explain that to me the dynamics of how that happens and why it happens and whether that is correct or not because i do not know all right and uh and it seems that i'm not saying the high yield guys because that's all they have somebody their official or whatever to do it so but they so they said if you if you take the joystick and you drop the header down and pick it up and, and real quickly it's going to give you a spike on the on the, on, the, on the yield monitor so please reach out to me at hot rod farmer at farmmachinerydigest.com and i would love for you to enlighten me on that because that is something that i'm I'm, I'm uh chastising you to know your equipment right i mean i don't harvest soybeans i've never harvested soybeans so i would not know that whatsoever but before we get ready we're not going to close yet sorry it's like the teacher telling you the class ain't over yet but uh what a pastor in church telling you it's just warming up now so uh the thing is that i want to start to do some road tests this is getting into my road test season and i want it and my whole thing is that you're really disappointed because now that i you know the past whatever 20 years or so i've had the <clears throat> i was blessed with the opportunity to be able to get vehicles to road test but to tell you the truth i don't think there's anything of value to road test out there and let me explain to you why because i feel for my audience i have to either have a a truck that you could use on the farm all right that would obviously be number one importance number two i have to have or i'm going to have to road or, or and i shouldn't say have to i should be road testing a vehicle that you may be interested in so you may be interested in for a car for your wife and children for your family right so today that <clears throat> today that's going to mean an suv <clears throat> excuse me or because i am the hot rod farmer and a lot of um, a good majority of the audience are hot rodders to a certain extent and interest i have to test something that's going to be a performance car so the thing is that it fits into those three categories but the number one category is to test if i'm going to be testing a vehicle since all right it has to be something like a, a truck that you could use on a farm but the complicated thing that comes up is that they all do the same thing today 
And, you know, so you go out and you look at a Ford or you look at a Chevy, Chevy slash GMC, or you look at a Ram or you look at a Toyota. That's about it because Nissan, the Titan is out of business. Nissan completely got out of the larger truck business. I mean, so they got a, the Titan was a flop. Their NV van was a flop and that smaller I forgot how they call that other little van. It was like a transit Ford Transit Connect van. That they were all flops. So uh, they all they all stopped making them. So anyway, so the fact of the matter is that, and the pickup trucks that they give me to test because the the zone offices are right near New York City are these seventy, eighty, ninety, a hundred thousand dollar pickup trucks. All right, can they carry fertilizer? Yeah, they could carry fertilizer. Are they something that are, that somebody would really want to buy on a farm or ranch unless they were using it as a quasi-car? Probably not, all right? Uh, I would. I think that there's a good place on a farm that has multiple farm-related vehicles to invest in a van, all right, I think a van is of, of, of great value. I'm not saying it's going to replace your pickup truck, but instead of having two or three pickup trucks that do the same thing, is that I have always been a, been a big proponent to having a van on the farm. Uh, not a window van, a cargo van. And I think that they're an excellent resource to use, uh, that they, uh, give you, they, they give you lockable storage, out-of-the-weather storage, uh, I mean, if you, you know, with the if you want to load a tote in there, with a, you can load a tote in there. Obviously, you 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 know, you can't load a round bale in it, all right. But there's uh, you know there are some limitations. But if you were to have a lot of redundancy in your in your farm vehicles, so let's say you had three or four pickup trucks, and you really don't need three or four, you're buying them because you don't know what else to buy. Well, I think a van is a very good choice. And I think, for, not because I'm a Ford guy, but I think currently, as of right now, that the Ford full-size Transit is an excellent choice for that because it also is available with factory four-wheel drive. So you could buy a four-wheel drive van, all right, and and you have a lot of, and I think that I think that's a smart resource for somebody in agriculture that has that has a small fleet i'm saying a fleet two three four vehicles on their farm or ranch instead of always having a pickup truck right and having four pickup trucks so i think that's uh but then i would love to test a van and i would love to go get because i want to get my fertilizer early this year my which is two or three trips down to maryland then that's a good practical application put the 275 gallon tote in it tie it down pump it out i mean it's a very practical application but none of the manufacturers ford general motors or ram who hates me ram uh will have a van <laughs> so uh, so there goes that right uh but I really think that that my audience should consider that instead of going to the same old, same old, let's just get a Ford, let's just get a pickup truck, all right? And the other thing uh, that I would like to do, much to my own chagrin, but I think that I, you know, that I need to do it to get some seat time in it, some experience, and to be able to convey that to you, my audience, because this is meant to be a transfer of knowledge, is that I need to test an electric vehicle. And I kind of discussed that with you guys a while back. And uh, But what had happened, and I said, 
I had said this uh, a while back, is that about a mile from the farm, a little bit more from a mile, that they put a Tesla, they put a series 10 Tesla charging stations in, in, uh, they installed 10 in what, in, well, in this parking lot, this little, all right, so anyway, I don't even, boy, that sentence was terribly formed. But so there's tens, the, the most succinct way for me to say, there's tens tes, Tesla charging stations a mile, mile and a half from the farm. All right. So now, but what had happened was that I had kind of knew this, but I wasn't 100% sure that a Tesla charging station would only charge a Tesla. So to me, that doesn't bring much intrinsic value. Not that I even have a relationship with Tesla. I'm sure I could try to find out where their press offices and do something. But I really felt that we should check some, do something else other than a Tesla. So, but now from what I learned <clears throat> just over the past couple of months is that Ford made a deal with Tesla that there's some sort of adapter that they'll give the people when they buy an electric Ford, which I think all these electric cars are a joke. Let me just go on record for saying that, <clears throat> that you could use a Tesla star charging station. So I don't think that a Rivian, then again, I don't have a relationship currently with Rivian, but uh, would be able to charge it. So if I can't charge it a mile from the farm, it's totally useless to me. So what I'm going to look to do is... I am going to look to, to Ford has a brand new Ranger. It's not electric, all right? Regular, what they call IC engine, internal combustion engine Ranger, totally redesigned Ranger for 2024. So I'm going to be putting a request in for a new Ranger and hopefully around the middle of, uh, middle of April. And I am going to use that as a farmer would use it. And God willing, if I get one, go down and bring all my liquid fertilizer back to the farm so at least even though it's probably going to eighty thousand dollar ranger but at least i would have some semblance of going in the field with it, loading a tote in it putting thousands of pounds in it tying it down and have some practical application of then saying well the stereo is real good and i like the massaging seats all right which to me is ridiculous and then what I'm going to also do is I'm going to ask Ford, I do not want to road test an F-150 Lightning, which is the other, because I think that's totally useless, all right? Totally useless, uh, $80,000 useless vehicle. Like so, uh, so what I'm going to ask them for and confirm whether they have the adapter to charge on the tesla chosen and i gotta because that's going to be a learning experience for me and it's going to be something i could share with you all right so uh the adapter to and i would like to get a mustang mach e which you know is not a mustang only in name and it's that four-door suv type quasi car suv type of vehicle and i think that that would have much more intrinsic value as a potential family car for my audience uh because i believe that the f-150 lightning other than really is is you know the the rivian pickup truck the light f-150 lightning this tesla cyber truck which i think is uh, belongs in a, in a in a kid's coloring book uh isn't really impractical for the farm but i could understand i could po possibly rationalize that 
you want to get a, a, a family vehicle. Your wife is going to town. She's going to take the kids to school. She's going grocery shopping. She's going wherever, someplace with her girlfriends, within a short leash. And the Mustang uh, Mach-E has a, <clears throat> from what I could glean, has a pretty high ground clearance, which I think is very important to my audience living in out in the country out in the ranch down the dirt 10 miles down a dirt road or, uh or whatever and you know and the uh, muddy road what have you so i think that's important it also is available with true all-wheel drive uh so i think it has the most practical application for a for a agricultural family if they chose to do that uh and say well we're going to have a a Mustang Mach-E, we're going to put a charging station in the house and the farm, and then, you know, you could use that and your wife could use it, what have you. All right, it's obviously you're not going to run the farm of it, but it's at a much lower price point than an F-150 Lightning. I think it's more practical because if your wife is going to use that to take the kids to school and to go to grocery shopping and use it as a car, it's more car-like and, uh, than than truck like so i think that that's probably the best but then again ford may not have one then again they may not have the adapter so who knows all right so who knows but what i want to ask you is that please share with me at hot rod farmer at farmmachinerydigest.com any ideas of what you would like for me to road test as far as your vehicle is concerned i was also thinking of trying to get some seat time in a little box truck so like chevy and gmc have that isuzu based cab over class four class five cab over truck um mitsubishi fuso has one both chevy chevy gmc isuzu has a gasoline powered one which uses a six liter ls style general motors engine chevy engine in uh, the mitsubishi little cab over truck has a gasoline engine option well there's a diesel or gasoline just like those other two but i would specifically be very interested in and in road testing the gasoline versions i'm not interested in the diesel versions per se but i really think that that's another potential uh potential farm truck uh, you don't need to have a box on it. You could put a steak body, a rack body on it. And I think that becomes a very, very, uh, a very useful farm vehicle versus, and it's probably not more than a pickup truck that's loaded up. And you really need to look at the, uh, my, my thing, you know, I'm saying you need to look at, from my perspective, is that you really need to look at the vehicles you have on your farm, what you use them for, all right and i honestly and I'm probably stepping on somebody's toes you don't need i personally think whether an 80 and ninety thousand dollar half ton or even three quarter ton all right or whatever i don't care whether it's a gmc denali a chevy high country a ford uh a king ranch or platinum or whatever that top of the line ram is I really don't think that that's a practical vehicle for the farm. 
and I really don't think that that's a practical vehicle to use as a family vehicle, all right? And because you have to look at what are you going to put in the back, what are you going to do with it? So I think there's a lot better choices. And I've seen so many larger-scale agricultural operations that just keep going. Oh, it's the way. It's like it's the way I always did it. We bought a we bought a pickup truck, and I'm, yeah, you need a pickup truck. I wouldn't want to be without my pickup truck on the farm. But if I was big enough, for I was going to have two or three vehicles, and I didn't feel that I that, and I look back historically, and I didn't use a pickup truck. Although what a pickup truck was a pain. Like oh, I would love to have a van. All right, because I could work around a van on the farm here. All right, and then if I not you know you don't have to secure stuff from the weather, you don't have to secure stuff from theft, you don't have to. I mean, so there's a lot of benefit there, but I really, really think that that a van could be a very good choice for a agricultural operation and uh, as an additional vehicle to replace one of the pickup trucks. And that's what I did last year when I road tested the Ford Maverick, that I felt that that was an excellent vehicle to replace a half-ton pickup truck, all right, on one of your half-ton pickup trucks, front-wheel drive, uh, or potential four-wheel drive. I mean, I carried 2,000 pounds in it, all right, yeah, I mean, you're, gonna, you're not going to carry a round bale in the back, but then you say, well, I have these other two or three vehicles to do that, and I'm replacing this other vehicle, plus the cost per mile to run it, all right, like I went to this thing the other day, and uh, last week went for the precision uh, precision planting, and, uh, and you know, I mean, these guys, and look, I understand I understand. These guys are coming there, these these farmers, and they got these eighty, ninety thousand dollar pickup trucks, all right. They're using them as a car. You could look in the bed if there was ninety percent of them had nothing in the bed ever, all right. And even if because even if you put a bed liner or one of those spraying liners, if you're really using it as a truck, there'll be some battle scars in there. And they're using these things as a car. There's a lot better vehicle to use for that purpose than that pickup truck. So whatever, that is my thought. So please reach out to me at hotrodfarmer at farmmachinerydigest.com. But even though I'm electric vehicles, I think that it is that I owe it to my audience to give you some seat time in something that could be a possibly, and that's the operative word in that sentence, possibly practical application for you. Uh, and, uh, you know, getting back to the vans, uh, Ram has that ProMaster van, which uh, what I, I'm not going to say I don't like it, all right? And it's front-wheel drive, so that's, in a way, you say, well, that's good because it's front-wheel drive, a lot of traction, right? But what happens with that ProMaster is that if you put a good load in the back, it takes all the weight off the front wheels and negates the front-wheel drive. I know people, uh, actually the guy who did my fix the house after the tree fell on it, <clears throat> he had one of those. He said he, he, said he can't go <clears throat> with it, two inches of snow when that van is loaded in the back with all his tools. He said he can't even move up his dr- up a slightest incline with it because all the weight is shifting off, off of the drive wheels. And that's why I particularly like that Ford Transit with the four-wheel drive. But that's a $4,000 option. I looked it up. 
So, whatever. Uh, but just food for thought. So I want to thank you. A little bit different show today. No earth-shattering information here other than just keep in mind that whenever you have a sensor on something, if it's not giving you an actual reading, it's just giving you a warning, all right? You know, uh, grain bin temperature high. If it's not telling you it's, it's, it's 95 degrees and they're just saying grain bin temperature high, but but what you need to do is prior to that telltale lighting up you need to do some research and good luck right some due diligence and find out what the hysteresis of that sensor is because if it comes on and your grain bit at 90 degrees and goes off at 89 degrees well the corn is going to be just as ruined just as bad at 89 degrees at 90 degrees but you're happy as a lark right because the light went off so that is why i like analog instrumentation all right or even digital instrumentation that's giving me an actual number so i want to thank you so much for listening and i want you to know that the hot rod farmer is pulling for you the american farmer and rancher in my beloved beloved america you have a blessed day and be kind to every animal that comes across your path they are god's creation it's just like you are bye bye